All right. So I kind of suspect that there's a small lag between like what we say and then how, like when you hear it and stuff. So anyway, just bear with. Um, <clears throat> so last week we talked about the coronavirus thing and um, the, the main thing that we talked about is that yes, God is still on the throne. Um, this, uh, coronavirus thing is not caught God by surprise. It's not a shock. It's not, um, something that caught him out, out of left field. Um, it, you know, God's, God sees it, God knows it, and he's there with us. Uh, we talked about how God cares about us. We talked about how we're not to be afraid no matter what happens. If we get sick, God can heal us. Uh, if we don't get sick, we'll just die, right? I mean, and, and then we'll go be with him. So, I mean, it's not... <laughs> so it's not the worst thing you know and uh but uh it, the thing is is i just wanted to say that that is for the believer all, all that stuff that we talked about last week it's for those who are walking with jesus who are close to him who are following him whose whose hearts are devoted to him and uh i wanted to talk about this week is could this be judgment from god now, I'm not saying definitively that it is or it isn't, but um, in a lot, you know, you hear a lot of talk back and forth about the whole coronavirus thing. You don't hear a lot of talk about, yes, this is from God or anything like that. Matter of fact, I've heard a lot of believers saying, no, this isn't from God because God is just love and mercy and things like that. And God would never do that kind of thing. And um, so... Again, this is this is and and like uh, you see all everywhere, P, uh, Christians quoting Psalm ninety one where it talks about no evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent and stuff. Well, again, who is that speaking to? In verse one, it says those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High. And so again, these these verses, and again, what we do as believers is we take verses that are meant for believers or, or non-believers and we just kind of blanket them all over the place and stuff and so again the question is could this be judgment from god and uh i think the default answer is no right uh i, I think that the world is like you know we were watching a show last night actually that we're and the guy was saying you know when we when we die we're all gonna go to heaven and we're all gonna see the people that we love that, that died before us and stuff and that's the consensus of the modern uh of the 21st century human being is that you know everybody's going to go to heaven god doesn't get angry god doesn't get mad he doesn't bring judgment he's just full of mercy and love and grace and all that kind of thing so um we just want to see what the Bible says, okay? Um, the thing is, is, is we profess to be a nation under God, it, but we've kicked God out of our schools. We've kicked him out of our government. Uh, Minnesota has, has two state representatives, I think, who, were, who, who are Muslims who were sworn in on a Koran rather than a Bible. Um, there, there are many countries in the world right now that are actively, as the, the governments and the, and the heads of the country are actively involved in persecuting Christians. Um, uh, we, I, was, I was reading a statistic, 40 to 50 million babies are sacrificed on the altar of convenience every year in this world through abortion. That's 125,000 babies every single day, right? and stuff and so i mean we're 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 legislating god out of our laws we're just we're basically we're 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 taking god and we're just casting him behind our backs um 
Secularism's on the rise. Christianity's being scoffed at. Uh, the media, according, you know, is treated by the media and the elites as it's like irrelevant, right? Um, television, movies, they just get more and more profane all the time. There, there are certain shows that I've tried to watch on TV or whatever, and I'm like, I cannot watch this show, you know, because just like someone's always naked or getting naked or going to be naked or whatever and stuff. And it's just getting worse. The progression is worse and worse and worse. Um, you know, we look at our society and we're like, what's wrong with our society? How come our kids are so bad and stuff? Well, remember when we were kids or Christy anyway, there was, there was prayer in school, right? And we used to say the pledge of allegiance and there was there, you were taught to honor, um, authorities and, and things like that. And now there's none of that. And so sin is becoming rampant and, and we're, we've forgotten all about God. And, um, you know, we've become arrogant. Um, turn to Psalm 50, verse 15. And, and the thing is, is we as a society are becoming more and more arrogant. We're becoming more and more like we don't need God, right? We can do this on our own. And essentially, we're becoming like the people at the Tower of Babel. We can accomplish everything that we can that we want to accomplish, and we don't need God to do it. Not only do we not need God to help us accomplish our goals, but we also don't need God's permission, right? And we don't need to obey what God desires for us to obey. We can live however we want to live. And in uh, Psalm 50, verse 15, it says, uh, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will rescue you, and, will and you will honor me. Look at verse 16. He says, but to the wicked, God says, what right have you to tell of my statutes and to take my covenant in your mouth? Look at verse 17. For you hate discipline and, and look at this and you have cast my words behind your back. So what's happening, and that's what modern society is doing. God is saying this, you know, God's given us his word. He's given us, he sent Jesus, his son, to speak, to, to live for three years on the earth, to tell us, to give us an exact representation of who God is. Uh, and, and we just take all those things and we cast them behind our back and say, you know what? That's for somebody else. That's not for me. I don't need that. And again, that's what we're doing more and more as a society. And we're forgetting about God and um, we don't need God's codes because we have our own moral codes and stuff. Um, we forget that he is God. He's the creator of all, all things. He chooses what is right and what is wrong. In verse, uh, in Psalm 24, it says the earth is the Lord's and all that it's in it. Uh, turn to Revelations chapter four. <clears throat> and the thing is, is I talk to unbelievers a lot of times and they're like, well, why, why does God feel like he can tell me what to do? Or, or what, who gives God the right to, to just tell us how, we, how he wants us to live? Or, or who is God that we should worship him and things? And in Psalm 4, verse 11. Revelation 4, verse 11. Thank you. Good catch. It says, Worthy are you, Lord, our God, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for what reason? It says, for you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. So why was everything created? It was for God's will, right? Everything was created to serve God. Everything was created to glorify God. And more and more, again, we are living in a time where we don't glorify God. We don't serve him. We serve ourselves, and we do our we own thing. Yeah. We glorify ourselves, and we've cast his words behind our back. 
And, and the thing is, is again, every time something bad happens, we're like, well, why did God allow this to happen? Or where was God in this situation, right? Or, or, or God is just this angry God and he's just bent on destruction and he's just bent on destroying people. Uh, turn to Jeremiah 18. Again, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures. In Jeremiah 18. <clears throat> verse 1. In verse 1, it says, the word, of the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter, so he remade it, he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hands, so you are to me, O house of Israel. At one minute I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. So again, it's the heart of God to bring mercy. It's the heart of God to, to, to relent. If he, he's saying, even if I plan to bring calamity, if I plan to judge a nation, if they turn from their sins, I will relent. I will turn from my anger and stuff. It says, verse 10, if it does evil in my sight, or verse 9, or at another moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plan it. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good with which I had promised to bless it. So again, God, God works in reaction to what humans do right? If we walk in obedience to him, he pours out blessing. And it's all over the word, all over uh, Deuteronomy 28. I think it's Leviticus uh, 36, where he talks about the blessings and the curses. And he's all like, you know what? If you obey me, if you walk according to my commandments, I will bless you. If you don't, I will bring curses on you. Uh, verse 11, so now then speak to the men of Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem saying, thus says the Lord, behold, I am fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. Oh, turn back each of you from his evil way and reform your ways and your deeds. But you will say, but they will say it's hopeless. Look at this. We are going to follow our own plan and each one of us will act according according to the stubbornness of his evil heart therefore therefore thus says the lord ask now among the nations who has heard the like of this the virgin of israel has done a most appalling thing does the snow of lebanon forsake the rock of the open country or is the cold flowing water from a foreign land ever snatched away so he's saying, like, I've blessed these people. And God has blessed all of us, right? The Bible says he pours out his, his uh, goodness on the, on the righteous as well as the unrighteous. God is always pouring out blessings on us. Even as unbelievers, before we came to the Lord, he was there for us, right? I, there are so many times when as an unbeliever, I should have been dead. Or I should have been in jail or, or something really bad should have happened to me that, that honestly, there were times when it was divine intervention that kept me from, from being like killed or in jail or worse. You know what I'm saying? 
and stuff. So God is yeah. always there. He's always there quick. He is, he is quick with mercy, quick to forgive and things. And yet we continue and we continue and we continue to turn our backs on him. Um, he says in verse 15, for my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless gods and they have stumbled from their ways from the ancient paths to walk in bypass, not on a highway to make their land a desolation an object of perpetual hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and shake his head. And again, he says in verse 16, they've turned from those ways and by their doing that, it's making their land a desolation. Again, it's not God that's doing it. It's them by their own actions. It's like we've, like hell, like we've talked, like you guys have heard the thing about hell. Like if somebody's in hell, it's not going to be because God sent them there. It's because they sent themselves there, right? God has given us his word. He has sent his son and he says, turn to me and I will receive you. Uh, repent of your sins. I will for, I will forgive you. I will abundantly pardon, says his word and stuff. And yet, again, people refuse to do that. They refuse to believe. Why? Because they love darkness rather than light. Um, verse 17, like an east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back and not my face in the day of their calamity. So again, these... These are results of, of people following their own plans. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 18. <clears throat> In Ezekiel 18, verse 1. It says, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, what do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying, the fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins will die. But if a man is righteous and practices justice and righteousness and does not eat at the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel or defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman during her menstrual period, if a man does not oppress anyone but restores to the debtor his pledge, does not commit robbery, but, take, but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing, if he does not lend money on interest or take increased, and if he keeps his hand from iniquity and ex executes true justice, between man and man, and if he walks in my statutes and my ordinances, so as to deal faithfully, he is righteous and will surely live, declares the Lord God. Then he may have a violent son who sheds blood and do, does not do any of these things to a brother. Though he himself did not do any of these things, that is, he even eats at the mountain shrines and defiles his neighbor wife, goes on and on about the things that he does, the wicked things and stuff, um, it says in verse 13, uh, how he will not live. He has committed all these abominations. He will surely be put to death. His blood will be on his own head. Now behold, he has a son who has observed all his father's sins. So he keeps going back and forth. If a man turns from his wicked ways, he'll be saved. If a man, if a man is righteous and he turns from his righteousness, he will not be saved and stuff. Verse 19, he says, Yet you say, why should the son not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity when the son has practiced justice and righteousness and has observed all my statutes and done them? He will surely live. 
The person whose sins will die, the son will not bear the punishment for the father, father's iniquity. And the thing is, one the thing that he's addressing here is is in the Old Testament, it was always like God was like, I will judge your, your family to the sixth generation or whatever and stuff if you sin and things like that, right? And so what he's saying here is like, Look, if your son is righteous, I don't care if you're the worst sinner there is. I'm not going to judge your sin because your son because of that, right? Now, there are certain things that that like okay, say like if my father's an alcoholic, I may have tendencies towards that, right? Because that's what I've grown up with and that's what I've seen every day and stuff. And so, I I that's where that's where choice and and my will comes into it is that I have to fight against that, right? I can't I can't say well my father was a drunkard so I'm going to be a drunkard too or my father was a was a used to beat my wife used to beat his wife so I'm going to beat my wife or my father was a child you know what I'm saying or my ch- my father had a bad temper so I'm going to have a bad temper and stuff no the it's saying right here that you are responsible for your own actions you can't say well I'm screwed up because my family screwed up and that's something probably all of us could use as an excuse. Well, my family screwed up, so that's why I'm screwed yeah. up. No, you're screwed up because you chose not to be not screwed up, right? Have y'all ever been out like sharing the gospel and you're asking someone if they're a Christian and they their answer is, yeah, my my parents, yeah. Are, are you asking why they believe they're Christians and they're like, well, you know, my parents are Christians and my grandparents and they're, they're putting it all back on their like how they were raised right. and and they can't really communicate a personal relationship so that's always kind of an interesting so thing to talk ezekiel about. 18 is so awesome because it's like it doesn't matter whether you're, you're righteous you can't blame it on somebody else or if you're unrighteous you can't blame it on anybody else it all comes down to personal responsibility and personal accountability i can't blame my problems on my parents i can't blame it on my wife Eve, this woman that you gave me and things like that. I can't blame it on anything but myself. It's because I chose to sin. So in verse 20, the person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself. And what does it say in 1 John? The one who is righteous is one who practices righteousness. It's not like someone that just says they're righteous. Uh, you hear so many, so much teaching in the, in the New Testament or in the church today. It's like, well, Jesus imputed his righteousness to you. When you get saved, that, that Jesus imputed his righteousness to you. Therefore, you are no longer unrighteous. And, and the Father doesn't see your sins. He just sees the blood of Jesus. Well, that's true, except 1 John says that the one who is righteous is the one who practices righteousness. Right? Jesus does impute his righteousness to us. He gives us his righteousness, but he gives us that righteousness so that we will walk in it and that that will become our nature and who we are. And no longer are we walking in our sins in the way that we used to. Verse 21. But if the wicked man turns from all his sins, which he has committed and observes all my statutes and practices justice and righteousness, he will surely live. He will not die. Now, This scripture used to really encourage me a lot because when I first became a Christian, I didn't feel like I was a Christian, right? I didn't feel like, you know, I didn't feel like angels singing in my room or, you know, like, you know, though, 
you know, the Holy Spirit whispering in my ear and stuff like that. But I knew that I was turning away from unrighteousness. I was, and I had a love for the word. I had a love for prayer and I had a love for things that I used to not have a love for and stuff. But again, it wasn't an emotional thing, right? And stuff. And so it's not an emotional thing. It's, are you walking with him? Are you serving him? Are you growing more and more in love with him every day and things of that nature? It says that the wicked man turns from all his sins, which he has committed and observes all my statutes, practices justice and righteousness. He will surely live. He will not die. All his transgressions, which he has committed, will not be remembered against him because of his righteousness, which he has practiced. He will live. Look at this in 23. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that, that he should turn from his ways and live. And again, God is, this is Old Testament. Right? So many people say, well, Jesus is not like God of the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament was angry and vengeful and wanted to kill people and stuff. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Right? And so God, you read scriptures like this and you see that God is not a God of vengeance. He's not a God that wants to destroy people's lives. He's a God that wants to save people. Again, 23, do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God? Rather than that, he should turn from his ways and live. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and does according to all the abominations that a wicked man does, will he live? All his righteous deeds which he has done will not be remembered for his treachery which he has committed and his sin which he has committed. For them he will die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not right. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not right? Is it not your ways that are not right? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies because of it, for his iniquity which he has committed, he will die. Again, when a wicked man turns away from his wickedness which he has committed and practices justice and righteousness, he will save his life. Because he considered and turned away or repented from all his transgressions which he had committed, he will surely live, he will not die." But the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not right, and my ways are not right. Oh, are my ways not right, O house of Israel? Is it not your ways that are not right? And again, when you start talking about, you start even suggesting the idea that this might be judgment from God. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it ought. But we at least have to consider whether it may be, right? You have to at least ask yourself the question or you're not being intellectually honest, right? You're not being spiritually honest. And to me, it's like a lack of a lack of knowledge of the word of God, because all over the Bible, from the New Old Testament to the New Testament, God judges sin and stuff. And, and so when people say, well, God's not like that, it's the same thing where God's saying, you're saying my ways are not right. And what we're doing is we're creating a God after our own desires and our own likeness. 30, therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, each according to his conduct, declares the Lord. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions so that iniquity may not be a stumbling block to you. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Verse 32, For again, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. So again, God's heart is for people to repent. God takes no destruction in anybody, 
God's desire is not to destroy people. And, and again, we have so many uh, believers that say, well, this can't be from God. And I, I've seen it. I've seen it on Facebook. I've, I've heard believers talk about, well, this, this, can't be, this, this can't be from God because, you know, um, Jesus, when he walked around the earth, it says he, he went around uh, healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. You're yes, he did do that, right? Jesus, when, when Jesus walked the earth, he healed people, he, he touched people, he delivered people, he raised people from the dead, but that's not all that he did, right? And then another person was like in, in John three seventeen. it says, well, God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world. Go ahead and turn to John chapter three. <clears throat> and that's true. That's a true statement. But you know what? This same Jesus is the same Jesus that cast that uh, that whipped the money changers out of the temple, who called the Pharisees vipers and said that he came to cast fire upon the earth. Right? You can't separate him. And that's what we do in the church as we try to take one aspect of Jesus or one aspect of God and say, this is the way God is. It's just as wrong to say, you know, that uh, God is an angry God and to, and to lock him into this single box as to say Jesus is this forgiving God that, that never judges, right? Both of them are extremes and both of them are wrong. And what you're doing is you're taking, you're taking God and you're turning him, you're making him a caricature, Right? You're making him a, a single-dimensional cartoon figure of what he really is, and you're not looking at him as a person who thinks, who feels, who reacts, and who... who it's a whole person. Right, the whole person, right? Our emotions, the way that we think, the way that we feel, um, not necessarily the way, right? Because sometimes we get in the flesh, and sometimes we um, the way that we react is not is not righteous and it's definitely not the Lord. But but even like when someone does something justifiably wrong to you, how you're hurt, God gets hurt, right? He truly gets hurt when we sin against him. He gets angry when when we sin against him and he warns us, but we refuse to, to stop. He feels, he thinks, he, he reacts and stuff. He is a living God. He is not just a golden calf. He's not just a caricature. He is a living, breathing being and stuff. Um, in John 3, verse, uh, we'll start in 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Now again, these people stop right here. And it's true. That is the reason why Jesus came. Jesus came to save the world. He came to save mankind, right? And it's his desire that every single human being, male, female, child, will be saved and born again and walk with him and be with him in heaven ultimately and stuff. But in verse 18, it says, He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. 
but he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Now in verse 17 where it says, Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world or to judge the world, but that the world would be saved from him. That was his heart's desire, right? That was his purpose. But verses 18 through 21 show that some people will not align themselves with his purpose, right? And the whole thing is, is salvation when when Jesus died on the cross, he made salvation available to every single person. But we're not Unitarians. We don't believe everyone's just going to be saved, right? You, it's, it's like, again, the whole metaphor of if someone gives you a gift, that gift may be $2 million. It may be whatever and stuff. But if you, it, well, Spurgeon used the, we used the analogy that if someone writes you a check, you have to take that check, you have to deposit it in the bank, right? So God has made salvation available to everyone, but what are you going to do with it? If you don't receive that salvation for yourself personally, you won't be saved. And in verse 38, or I'm sorry, 36, it says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but look at this, but the wrath of God abides on him. So again, this is New Testament stuff. And, and again, you can take one, one scripture and lift it out and just kind of helicopter it out and say, well, you know, Jesus is not that way because Jesus healed people. Jesus was merciful. Yes, he was, but that's just one part of him itself. Um, again, um, let's see, in 1 Peter 4, verse 12. And again, read, you know, in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler but if anyone suffers as a christian he is not to be ashamed but is to glorify god in his name look at this in 17 for it is time for judgment to begin with the house of go- household of god and if it begins with us first what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of god and if it's with difficulty that the righteous is saved what will become of the godless man and the sinner you see that? So again, the New Testament is filled with, with judgments and things. Uh, look at the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is all about the judgments of God on wicked people, right? And stuff. So, so to, to take that and, and to say that God in the New Testament, or you know, God in the Old Testament was a God of judgment, was a God of anger, was a God of wrath, and God of the New Testament is God of love and you know, and he, he never gets angry, never does anything uh, bad or whatever and stuff. It's just it's, it's ignoring the word of God. Turn to Second uh, Chronicles 18. And the problem is, is that I think that a lot of times, like one thing with all, with the, with the false prophets in the Old Testament is the false prophets always said good things. They never said bad things, right? They never, they were always like, God's for you, God, God is, is with you and all that kind of thing. Are you saying the false prophets? Yeah. Oh, I thought you said the That's prophets. No, the false prophets. Is a long way off. 
What? Or judgment is not Yeah, or judgment will not come upon you and things like that. And I think that a lot of Christians today fall under the same category. But, and they have a serious lack, misunderstanding of the nature and the character of who God is. And they're saying... And, peace when there is no peace. Well, they're saying peace when there is no peace. And they're inventing a God after their own imaginations and stuff. And, you know, the thing is, is sure, it would be awesome if that were the way it was, right? It would be, you know, we all want a God who never gets angry at us. We all, like, I would love if my spouse never got angry at me, right? I would love if everything, if, if our marriage was rosy every single day, the birds are singing, the sun's shining, and we never fight about anything. It's, everybody wants relationships like that, even with your friends, right? Wouldn't it be awesome if you never fight with your friends or, or you never do something stupid to make your friend angry at you and stuff? Well, again, God is a living person, Right? I mean, he's not a human, obviously, but he is living. He is breathing, uh, maybe not breathing, but he's thinking, <laughs> he is reacting and stuff. He is the breath. He is the breath. And in Second Chronicles 18. Oh, Jesus, it's God who breathes. Yes. Yeah. In Second Chronicles 18, uh, verse 1, says, Now Jehoshaphat, that's hard to say, had great riches and honor, and he, he allied himself by marriage with Ahab. Now, Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, and Ahab was the king of Israel. Ahab was a wicked king, and Jehoshaphat was a good king. He loved the Lord and things, and, and the fact that they're getting together in the first place is, the, the Bible says not to be unequally yoked, right? Verse 2, some years later he went down to visit Ahab at Samaria, and Ahab slaughtered many sheep and oxen for him, and the people who were with him, and the people who were with him, and induced him to go up against Ramoth Gilead. Ramoth Gilead was fighting against Israel. And Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? And he said to him, I'm as you are, and my people are as your people, and we will be with you in battle. Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire first of the word for the word of the Lord. Now again, here is a good king who loves God asking a wicked king who is not even following God to inquire of the Lord. Verse 5, then the king of Israel assembled the prophets, 400 men, and said to them, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall I refrain? And they said, go up. For God will hand, give it into the hand of the king. So he's got these 400 prophets and they're telling him, yeah, go do it. God's going to be with you. He's going to bless you. He's going to give you your heart's desire and he's going to defeat your enemies. Verse 6, but Jehoshaphat said, is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? <laughs> I mean, that's awesome, right? Because the Bible says, it, I love the Bible, because the Bible says things, and it just, it puts things out there, and it leaves them out there, and it leaves it for you to figure it out, right? It says that, you know, uh, these 400 prophets come, and the king asks them, should we go to battle? And they're like, yeah, do it, go for it. And then Jehoshaphat, who obviously has a little bit of discernment, and some of the Spirit of God says, wait a second, is there no prophet of the Lord? Because obviously these guys aren't prophets of the Lord. They're prophets of Baal or something, but they're not prophets of God. I wonder if he questioned it because they all agreed. 
Yeah. 400, 400 in agreement <clears throat> might be scary. And that's the thing. Uh, the The thing is, is a, a lot of times in pop Christianity, everyone's in agreement. God's just going to bless us. He's going to give us everything we want. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to just pour out on us. He's never going to allow any bad thing to happen to us. It's all just going to be blessing. It's, it's going to be good. It's good. Yeah. The year of the Lord's favor and all that. And God's for you and stuff. So in verse 7 again, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is, no, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire. So again, this is the king of Israel, the evil king. He's saying to Jehoshaphat, there's yet one man by whom we may inquire the Lord, but I hate him for he never <laughs> prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. Right, and isn't that a way again a way of a lot of the church is all we want to hear is good things. We want our ears to be tickled. We want to hear that God is for us and not against us, and He loves us and He's full of grace. He's full of mercy and stuff. It says again, He is Micaiah, son of Imla. But Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat said, "Let not the king say so." Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, "Bring quickly Micaiah, Imla's son." Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting each on his throne, arrayed in their robes, and they were sitting at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets, again false prophets, were prophesying before them. Zedekiah, the son of Kananah, made horns, again one of the false prophets, made horns of iron for himself and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Arameans until they are all consumed. And again, this, this, when I read this, I, I think about so many prophecies like on Facebook and social media. God's just going to bless you. And, and they're throwing out these blanket prophecies for everybody. And I'm telling you, there are some people that read those prophecies who God is not going to bless. And they're just giving these blanket prophecies. And, and I'm like, beware, right? When you're just throwing out blanket prophecies and saying God's going to bless you and this is the year of God's favor and he's for you and he's, he's behind you all the way, be careful. Because I'm telling you that not everyone that's listening is in that place, right? Now, some people will be. And some people God might be saying, yeah, I'm going to bless you and so, but I'm like, if you have the gift of prophecy or you feel like you're a prophet or you feel like God, you are speaking for the Lord, be very careful to say God's behind you and you're just throwing that out to everybody. Because God is not pleased when you're telling people that God is pleased with you and he's not. It seems like that if they were a true prophet too, they would say this may not apply to, right. to everyone and that you'd never hear them say that. Yeah. So again in verse 10, Zedekiah the son of Cananah made horns of iron for himself and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you will gore the Arameans until they are consumed. And look at this in verse 11. And all the prophets were prophesying, saying thus, Yeah, go up to Ramoth Gilead and su succeed, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. In verse 12, when the messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Behold, look at this. Behold, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable for the, to the king. So please let your word be like one of them and speak favorably. So, so there's this pressure to perform. There's this pressure to speak what everybody wants to hear. There's this pressure to speak what the people in authority, what the people in leadership want to hear. Okay, well, you really need to you really need to speak what they want to hear positive. and stuff. Speak something positive, right? Yeah. And, and, and the and the concern is more on these people and how they're affected rather than God and how He's affected. 
And again, it's like we've talked about before. I've been in meetings where people are blowing on you or people are laying hands on you and they're trying to push you down. And it's like, you know what? I am not going down for you. If God is not doing it, I'm not doing it, right? And stuff. And, and the thing is, 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 is be careful of fake Christianity. Be careful of fake giftings, anointings, prophecies, whatever it is, laying on of hands, healings, whatever. Be careful because you are in a dangerous place when you start stepping outside of the bounds of what God is truly saying, what God is truly doing, and you start making it something of your own imagination or something that you feel like God's saying or or even, yeah, doing it for somebody important. I have something to say about that. So you guys, I don't know if we've told you guys before, but we went to a school of prophecy about, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. And in that school of prophecy, we were being taught how to prophesy. And we were told that when we were supposed to practice, so let's, I think, let's say there was about 300 people in the room. We were told to basically go out and practice on each other. And we were told to make sure that if we heard anything that we were practicing on each other, if we heard anything negative, then it wasn't from the Lord. Um, And so, uh, that was just kind of crazy because we, they were basically teaching us that if you got something from the Lord for someone that you were ministering to and it had any negative connotation whatsoever, that it wasn't from no. God. But, and yeah. we, actually, we actually had a situation in my group where I was practicing where a vision was seen and it was for my, my best friend who I brought as a visitor. And that she, she had a vision and she shared that and, um, like I knew immediately or someone else had a vision for her. And then long story short, it was misinterpreted. It was actually a vision of judgment against that was going to come on her husband because he was abusing her. This other lady didn't know that. So she interpreted the whole vision in a positive slant because she was taught to do that. So even when we left with my friend, my, my, my friend that I brought, she's like, that was crazy. That lady was so off. And I, and she, I was like, I know, but it's because she thought she was supposed to say something positive. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's just a little bit of an example of, and and the thing is, is the, the one that was leading at is someone that's really, really big in charismatic circles. I mean, somebody who's who's well known and y'all would probably know him if we said his name and stuff, but He's very popular and and has books and things like that. Um, Back to 12. When the messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Behold, the words of the prophets are uniformly, everybody's saying it, favorable to the king, so please let your word be like one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what my God says, that I will speak. When he came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth? This is, I love this part. He goes, when, the king came, when he came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall I refrain? And Micaiah says, go up and succeed for they will be given into your hand. Verse 15, then the king said to him, how many times do I have to adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? I mean, who says the Bible's not funny, right? I mean, imagine yourself in that situation. He's like, yes, you're going to do it. Go, go, go kick his butt. You're, God's going to be with you and stuff. And I mean, the king even knows he's lying and stuff. 
And it's, it's so funny and it's so ironic because the king's like, I hate this guy because he always tells me the truth and he never tells me anything good. And he knows when the guy's telling him a lie and he's like, tell me the truth. It's like, but you don't want to hear the truth. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> he knows he's listening to 400 false prophets. It's just weird. Mm. And one of them was a, even like, a, like if I'm understanding the story correctly, is a true prophet, but prophesying falsely because of pressures put on them, right? Well, and that's the thing. A lot of times in the Old Testament, a person would be like we talked about Balaam and stuff. He truly had a gift from God. He was truly a prophet and stuff, but... Um, but his his motives were wrong and stuff. So with these guys, it's hard. You know, it doesn't really tell us whether they were true prophets or not. But they were obviously speaking the wrong thing. And like you say, everyone knew it, <laughs> you know, and stuff. But they were, that's, you know, and that's the thing. When when people go into sin, sin, just like Pharaoh, people go deep into sin. A madness comes over them and stuff and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute but what what happens is some like a, a madness comes on you it really does to where you you aren't able to to realize that what you're thinking is stupid i guess essentially but um so verse 15 says again the king said how many times do i have to adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the lord and so 16 micaiah says so he said I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right and on his left. The Lord said, look at, listen to this. The Lord said, who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said this while another said that. Verse 20, then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, how? And he said, I will go and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then the Lord said, you are to entice him and to prevail also go and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of these your prophets, for the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. So, and if you read the story, it goes on, and the king was killed and stuff, and, and they were truly, they were wiped out and stuff. And again, um, the, the thing that we as believers have to be careful of, and that's the thing, that's, you know, I, I believe in the gift of prophecy and stuff. I believe in the gifts of the spirit and things, but... Uh, you know, I, I, I'm slow to give words of prophecy. You know what I'm saying? Because you, you are accountable for those words. Jesus said you're going to be accountable for every idle word that you speak, much less a word that you speak and say, thus says the Lord. This is what God is speaking. Well, if you're saying that and God is not really speaking that, you are really going to be held accountable. Actually, that's why it says, that's why it says, not let not many of you be teachers because you will be held accountable for and, that. And something that I think is sometimes I think we're, we're uh, I think that maybe we need to be more uh, conservative about saying, oh, maybe God's saying this too because right. for the same reasons, because that has gravity to it. And even if you're not saying, oh, God is saying this, you're still saying, you're kind of putting the idea of what God wants and what God thinks 
in it like out there in in a very like right uh, and it's serious yeah and that's the thing again again test the spirits and test the prophecies and so there's there's a place for that we're not supposed to despise the prophetic utterance mm-hmm. but there's a testing and then there's somebody right. that needs to be calling people on it yeah. if they're saying something false yeah. or that's not quite right yeah and that, but the, and the thing is 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 we have become so irresponsible with it there we were we were listening to uh we were listening to someone talking about a school of prophets that charges what how much five thousand five thousand dollars per student and for like a, a three so now the thing is i mean think of that paul said i don't even charge for the gospel right and we're charging people five thousand dollars to teach them how to prophesy and not and yet but when you prophesy don't say something bad and stuff and we're charging people five thousand dollars for that <laughs> my wife says that's a rabbit trail it, and, yeah, and the thing is, that the, the thing is, is yeah, we we'll, we want to move away from this because it is a rabbit trail. But yeah, the thing is, is like people are going to be held accountable and stuff. And uh, so moving on, it is uh, again. So we talk about like, is God an angry God? Does he enjoy judging people? Remember um, Ezekiel 18, which says, I have no pleasure in the death of, of the wicked or anyone. Let Therefore, let him repent. Turn to Matthew 23. And that's the thing is, it's just like, uh, you know, that scripture we talked about last week is that, uh, you know, in Isaiah that, uh, you know, not to fear what the people fear and not to be alarmed when, when, you know, when fear comes upon, but the one you should fear is God. And again, I think that a lot of, a lot of us in the modern church have completely lost all fear of God, right? I mean, cause you have to. If if you can sit there and spout things, if you can sit there and say, thus says the Lord, without, you know, being concerned about it, you have no fear of God. And in Matthew 23, um, verse 13, this is Jesus speaking. He's speaking to the Pharisees. He says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Now, Jesus is going to say a bunch of stuff that seems like he's really, really angry, and he is, and stuff, but um, we'll, we'll just read the whole thing. In verse 14, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widow, widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you, rec- you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold of the temple that sanctified the gold? The gold of the temple that sanctified the gold? Any? And whoever swears by the altar, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he's obligated. So Jesus goes on and on here talking to the Pharisees. Woe to you. Woe to you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, who you didn't, you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier provisions of the law. 
And uh, verse um, verse 32. So he goes on and on until verse 32. And he says, Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? And again, this is Jesus speaking. He says, Therefore, therefore behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And look at his heart here in verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to you. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. You see that? Again, Jesus' heart is that they be saved, that they turn from their wicked ways, but they were unwilling. In 38, he says, Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say in... Um, Look in verse, um, you finish. Verse, uh, look at chapter 24, verse 1 and 2. Now, Jesus is continuing on this. He says, Jesus came out from the temple and was going out away when his disciples came up to, the, to point out the temple buildings to him. To him. And he said to them, to them, his disciples, do you not see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another that will not be torn down. And that's exactly what happened in, in 70 AD. The Roman, the Roman armies came through, destroyed Israel, destroyed Jerusalem, and completely destroyed the temple of God and stuff. But again, Jesus' heart was that they not do, have to go through that. His heart was to spare them from judgment. His heart was that they turn from their sins and that they not be like that. And again, so you know... Um, so many people are like, God is angry and God just wants, it's the thief in John 10, 10. It's Satan who comes to steal, kill and destroy, right? God's heart is to save. God's heart is to heal. God's heart is to restore. Satan's heart is to destroy everything. If it were up to him, if it were left in his power, he would destroy every single man, woman and child on this earth, right? Because Satan's heart is for destruction. And so all these things that we blame on God, God's this angry God and God sends these earthquakes and he sends these, this famine and he sends these diseases to destroy people. No, that's Satan that does that. God is just, God allows it. And it's, we don't have time to look at it, but if you look in Job, we've talked about Job before, that it was Satan was the object of Job's destructions, Right? And so Satan is the one that, that and just like we saw in, in uh, 2 Kings, where God allowed an evil spirit to, you, to, to destroy the king of Israel and stuff. Satan's just a tool in God's hands, right? We don't have time to look at it, but even in Isaiah, God talks about how he used the Assyrians to bring judgment on his people, but they took it too far. 
and they were there without mercy and they they uh, God wanted them to chastise his people but their desire was to completely destroy them and to to um and they glorified themselves for it instead yeah and they glorified themselves and things like that and God said because of that you're he, he said you are my tool uh you are you are my even in Joel it talks about how great his great army rushed on the cities and they run on the walls those were the Assyrians so God uses Satan for his purposes, but Satan takes it too far, right? And Satan wants to destroy. Satan wants to crush. He wants to humiliate. He wants to utterly wipe out people and stuff. And God just wants to get people's attention and stuff. Does that make any kind of sense? Yeah, um, yeah and so the thing is, is is whenever things happen, it is even not so much as God sending destruction, God sending rain. Even like in Psalm 91, again, it says it's, it's God taking away his protection, right? If you dwell under the shadow of the Almighty, if you're under the wings of the Almighty and stuff, that's when he will shelter you. He will guard you and he will protect you from the storms and the arrows and the, the destruction that lays waste at noon and the pestilence that stalks in darkness, right? So it's when we're under his protection, when, it's, when we allow ourselves as his chicks to come under his wings, that he will guard us and he will nurture us and he will protect us, right? But it's when we choose that I'm going to live my own way, I'm not going to live your own way, then God says, okay, then you are responsible for yourself, just like we saw in Ezekiel 13, uh, 18. Turn to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God, and again, we're talking New Testament here, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse." For even though they did not know God, they did not honor him. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory. And again, this is talking about people who knew God. It says they, uh, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. So again, this is like the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son says, give me my inheritance. I want my money. I'm going to go live what, how I want to live, right? So the, the prodigal son goes off and he spends all of his money, right? And what happens? He winds up living with the pigs in the slop, in the pig crap, eating what the pigs eat, totally without, without God, right? So his circumstance was that he left the father's house. He left his protection. He left every all the, the umbrella, if you will, of the father to go do his own thing, 
right? And so the things that happened to him weren't because the father sent them on him, were they, they were doing they were his own doing because of what the choices that he made and the, the the path that he chose, he wound up in the pig slop, right? And so that's what God is saying in Romans one. It says in 26, again, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function which is for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with women, men with women, sorry, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper. You see that? So again, just like we, we read in 2 Kings where, where, um, where the Spirit says, I will go and be a deceiving spirit to them and I will deceive them. That's what happens when we say, I'm not going to follow God. I'm going to go do my own thing. What happens is we fall under the dominion and the domain of Satan who is a deceiver. You see that? And so, and then I don't know about you, but when I was in sin, and the thing is, is I was brought up in the church, right? But then I turned my back on it and I'm sad. I'm like, I'm not going to live this way. I'm going to go party. I'm going to live for sex, drugs and rock and roll, get everything, you know, go for the gusto. You got one life to live and all that and stuff. And I found myself in a pit and I'm like, how did I get here? Because that's the progression. You don't, if you knew that you were going to wind up in that pit, if you knew you were going to wind up with the pigs in the pig filth and eating what the pigs are eating, you would not have decided that, right? Nobody wakes up and says, you know what? I want to be a heroin addict, right? No one wakes up and says, no, no child, no beautiful, innocent little child says, I want to grow up and be a prostitute. No one says, I want to grow up and be a crack addict. I want to grow up and be someone, a murderer, right? It's a progression. And what happens is you go into that place where without God, just like Paul said, you're without hope, without God in the world and stuff. And you're alienated from him because God, God speaks to you. God, wisdom cries out in the street, right? Proverbs is full of it about wisdom crying out in the streets and stuff and wisdom trying to open your eyes wisdom trying to say that's not the way this is the way walk in this and stuff but we would not have it and so a madness comes over us and the madness is called sin and it's sent by Satan to deceive you to destroy you to delude you and that's where this world is at. And that's why we as believers are lights in this world to show that you are in darkness and God loves you and does not want to leave you in this place, but he wants to change you. He wants to spare you. He wants to hover over you like a mother hen. Can I say something real quick? Yes. Right. I put in the chat Proverbs 26 two that verse like a sparrow and it's flitting and a swallow and it's flying so a curse without a cause is not a light. Right. Um, there's curses that will alight if we're in sin. Yeah. And it's such a promise as anything. And so we do bring it on ourselves if we're rebelling against God. Yeah. He has to keep his word and some of those words aren't great. 
Yeah. And again, just like just like we've seen over and over, it's because of your choices. Because this is the way that you have chosen to live. And basically you're saying it's like it's it's like if if I if we had a five year old child living with us that says, You know what? I don't need y'all. I'm gonna go do what I wanna do. I'm gonna go live on the streets, I'm gonna go do my own thing, I'm not gonna listen to y'all and stuff. What's gonna happen to that child? That child is gonna get destroyed, right? And it's not because it's not because the parents say, you know what? Then be destroyed. It's because they stepped out under the protection of the of the parents and stuff. It's just like Psalm 91. You who dwell in the shelter of the Almighty, that's when all those things will not happen to you. And in Psalm 81, verse uh, verse 15, or verse 8, I mean. Did I say 51? I meant 81. Sorry. Uh oh. Psalm 81, verse 6. <laughs> verse 7. Wait. Verse 8. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you would listen to me, let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Again, God says, you know what? If you open your mouth, I'll fill it. If you open your heart, I'll fill it. If you give yourself to me, I'll give myself to you. God is more than willing to bless this earth. God desires to bless this earth. God desires to bless the peoples of this earth. God desires to pour out abundance and favor on this people. By that, I don't necessarily mean monetarily. I mean his, his love, right? His relationships with us. He says, but my people did not listen to my voice and Israel did not obey me. So I look at this in verse 12. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their own heart to walk in their own devices. And again, it's just like a child. It's like sometimes with your child and stuff, the best thing you can do is say, okay, that's the way you want to do it. Then I'm going to let you do it and let them be responsible for their own actions, right? And again, it's not that you as the parent are bringing those, uh, those results on them. It's their actions that bring those results. But God is saying, you know what? That is not what I want for you. And the thing is, is, is our world is self-destructing. We're, we're all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We're all about living ourselves for ourselves. Turn to Exodus chapter 7. Before you turn to Exodus, let's keep reading. That's pretty good. It says, um, so I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies. I would turn my hand against their adversaries. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to him and their time of punishment would be forever. But I would feed you with the finest of wheat and with the honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. That's good. It's like he wants to just, like Again, said, that's his desire. God is love. God is mercy. Again, it's the enemy who wants to destroy us. And the best way that the enemy can destroy us is by keeping us blind. Keeping us in our sins. Keeping us ignorant of God. And keeping us, you know, it's like that God thing is just for weak people. Or, you know, it's for, for women and things. And in Exodus 7, and this is, this is what I, this is what I feel kind of happens. What? Oh, we can historically blame that on the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. Because it took the man out of the household. 
Well, and the, and the thing is, is there's there's been several steps along the way. There there was that, and then there was the sexual revelation, right? Yeah, exactly. And then and then there was the like the eighties when it was all about hedonism and stuff, and so all these things. It's like we're we're like we're casting God's word behind our backs, and we're like, I'm not gonna walk in that. I'm gonna do what makes me feel good. Right? Exactly. I am my own God. Right. It feels good. Do it. it, feels good, do it. I'm yes. Michelle. I'm Michelle. And and in Exodus, and the thing, the question is, what happens if this is God trying to wake us up? Right. What happens if this coronavirus is a wake up call and yet we don't listen? Uh, in in Exodus seven verse eight. It says, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when Pharaoh speaks to you saying, work a miracle, then you will say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord had commanded and Aaron threw his staff down before Pharaoh and his servants and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same with their secret arts. For each one threw down his staff and they turned into serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed them up, swallowed up their staffs. And the thing is, is I think that this is exactly what the world does, right? I think God tries to get our attention. I think, honestly, I think when AIDS, you know what, when AIDS came around, every Christian felt like it was from God, right? Everyone was like, this is God trying to get our attention. And so what happened is that the the uh, the scientists, the secret people created a, an antidote, right? Or a vaccine or whatever, a cure for it and stuff. And that's exactly what happens. I think that what happens is God allows things to happen. And, and what the people of the world do is we come up with an antidote or we come up with a vaccine or we come up so, with something to combat it rather than learning. And I'm not saying those things are bad, right? I'm those things are good things, and I think that they were done with the wisdom that God provides. But the thing is, is I think what's happening is God is trying to get our attention, but we're like, you know what? No, you throw down these serpents, we'll, we'll one up you, right? If you come up with this virus, we'll come up with a cure for it. There's no problem and stuff. And the thing is, is again, be careful with that because these, the these could just be tests right these could be minor wake-up calls it's like god saying wake up wake up wake up what happens if we don't wake up and again in the 14th century the black plague killed 40 to 50 million people and they were not in nearly the close proximity that we are today you know what i'm saying I mean, population-wise? Yeah, as far as population, as, as close as we are in the things, the, the, the society and things. Think about if something as deadly as, as that were unleashed on, 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 the, on Earth. Right, well, yeah. What would we do then, right? I, and I'm not trying to lessen coronavirus. I'm not saying it's bad. People are dying. But I'm saying it could be much worse, right? Woe to us if we do not listen to what God is saying when he's trying to get our attention, right? My dad used to have a belt and he called it his attention getter because whenever he used that belt, it got my attention. Right? And God is trying to get our attention. Yeah. 
But if we don't listen, I'm telling you, it can be much, much worse. And again, we've become like the people at Babel and stuff, right? We're like, we don't need God to build our towers. We don't need God to come up with technology. We don't need God to come up with cures against all these things. No matter what comes against us, we can get together as a people, speak one tongue, we can unite together, and we can overcome this. But in one month, look how God is humbling the pride of mankind right now. Right. And again, this is small compared to what it could be. It could be vastly, vastly worse than this. And it's God's mercy and protection that it's not. Turn to Job chapter 33. In Job 33, verse 14, he says, Indeed, God speaks once or twice, yet no one notices it. Do you see that? He says, God speaks once, he speaks twice, no one notices it. No one pays attention. And that's what I'm afraid for for this generation is that God is speaking. God is trying to get our attention and we're not listening. Right? He says, in a dream, a vision of the night when sound sleep falls on men while they slumber in their beds, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction. Why? That he may turn man aside from his conduct and keep man from his pride. And he keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from passing over to Sheol. So again, when things happen, it's God trying to get our attention. Um, in Romans 14, 11, it says, every knee is going to bow before the Lord. And every tongue is going to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Whether it's now or whether it's in eternity, God would much rather we do it now. Right? Turn to Proverbs 1. And God, just like God, wept, Jesus wept over Jerusalem, I believe God weeps over us. Especially when, again, just like he said in, in Matthew 23, I sent prophets, I sent people, and you stoned them, you killed them, you put them to death from Abel to Berechiah. I sent all these people to warn you, but you would not have it. How many years was And is God warning us right now? Is God trying to speak to us right now? You know, this is a time when we, especially as a church, need to at least take it into consideration. And at least, because the thing is, is this may not even be from God at all, right? But God can still use this opportunity to say, wake up, right? And in Proverbs 1, verse 20, it says, Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square at the head of the noisy street. She cries out at the entrance of the gates in the city. She utters her sayings. How long, O oh naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Look at this. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. But in verse 24, but because I called and you, refu you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. 
and you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof, I will also, look at this, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then you will call on me, but I will not answer. I mean, imagine the siege of Jerusalem. I, I, I think it lasted like three months or whatever. Um, people were drinking their own urine. They were, they were taking um, cat, uh, bird dung and selling bird dung for food. And some people were, were eating their babies and stuff. Now, they were religious people. They were Jews. You know they were crying out to God to rescue them in that moment. And God did not rescue them because he had warned them. He had told them, turn from your wicked ways. What did they do? They crucified his son, who Jesus sent that they would not be condemned, but that they would be forgiven, but they would not have it. I'll, I'll get to it. Um, verse 28. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will, they will seek me diligently. Not just a little bit. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. Look at this in 31. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and they will be satiated with their own devices for the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But look at verse 33. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. And God, again, God desires that people turn at his reproof. But the thing is, is if God truly pours out judgment, if God truly becomes angry and he truly pours out judgment, there is nothing in that day that you can do. Yeah. Right? Because it's yeah. God's, when he pours it out, that's it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hit the earth and it's going to wipe out and stuff. And God says, turn now and stuff. And I believe that, I, again, I don't believe this is judgment at all because judgment is much worse than this and stuff. And it could be and stuff. But I do believe God is saying, people, wake up and stuff. And so, again, so what's the, what's the response of the church? Again, it comes back to 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Again, God says every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess and stuff. And so, God is wanting us as a people to do it now, right? Yeah. Not to wait until judgment is poured out and stuff. And and I think that we as the church right now, we need to be praying. We need to pray for this world. We need to pray for this generation. Just like Keith Green used to say, this generation of believers is responsible for this generation. These are our people, right? These are the people that we live with. These are the people we work with, the people we live beside, the people that we... Whatever, you know, and stuff. We are responsible for this generation. We're, we're responsible to, um, to pray. And to, and, it's, and, to, and to witness and to live our lives righteously so that they have an example to say that, you know what? I used to live like you, but I don't live like that anymore. And I believe that anytime when God moves like this, 
This is a time when God is doing something in the earth. It is an opportunity for the church. All these things about like, like uh, you know, the church having to, to meet on podcasts or meet on, on the internet and things like that. I don't think it's a bad thing at all, right? It's a blessing in disguise because the church has never been the walls, right? The church has never been about the building. The church has never been about the structure. It's never been about all these other things, the fog machines and the lights and the speakers and all. It's never, ever been about that. The church is us. And it's when we're meeting, when two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. And these things were, were God is scraping off the fluff. He's, 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 he's taking out the garbage and he's bringing it back to the simplicity and purity of Jesus Christ and him alone and stuff. And, and, um, okay, he's even been doing good for the like Catholic church would like, I mean, it, it's just kind of funny to, to, to laugh about it, but it's like also like good that like, even if the Catholic Church is starting to acknowledge that, like, you can pray directly to God oh, and confess yeah. your sins to Him. Oh, they're starting yeah. to tell their people that. Yeah, well, like, well, like, like if, if you can't yeah, find a priest. Daniel was reading yeah, a thing right. or watched a thing on the internet or something about how the Catholic Church, they're like saying, okay, well, now, you know, since you can't get together with it's your okay priest. To confess your sins to God. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, like, yeah. whoa. Who knew? Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's like, oh, you mean we don't have to go through this middleman anymore? Yeah, yeah. And so, or, and so, or, or repeat, a, repeat a mantra or something. So, so yeah, just to wrap it up, I believe that this is a an awesome time for the church. I really do. I believe that this is a time when we are to strike because I, God is doing something in the world. The Bible, there's a scripture that says uh, when 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 the world experiences. Uh, judgments that they learn righteousness or something like that right and stuff and so you know obviously not everyone's going to listen not everyone's going to turn not everyone's going to be affected but some people will right and this again this is a time for us as believers to strike this is a time while the iron is hot this is a time where where people are open um amy and christy went to walmart and were sharing jesus with with strangers and stuff and some of them were open because there's there you know that's what happens is, is fear comes into people's hearts and people start going like I, a friend of mine at work not too long ago um someone in his family died and he started questioning well what what is you know what is the afterlife is there an afterlife is is there a god and stuff and so there's a time right now where people are asking questions what is god about is there a god is is what is this coronavirus about and stuff and and i think that we as believers have an opportunity like like sure. we haven't had in a long time to share Jesus with people and say, this is what Jesus is like. And if you'll turn to him, he will receive you. Right. And so, so. And it's also a time for us to search our own hearts. You know, Bible says, examine yourself to see that you're in the faith. So we have to, you know, make sure that we are not just talking the talk, but walking the walk and right. having relationship with God that demonstrated yeah. through our actions and, so I, yeah. and it makes me kind of be like, yeah, actually, sorry to interrupt. No, no, go, go. go. Yeah, you know, actually pray for me about that. Um, I just, I haven't been really stirred up to go share the gospel with people. I mean, I know that there's social distancing and things like that too, but, um, I mean, I'll post every now and then something on Facebook, but it's not really like. I mean, I don't know. I just, 